Welcome, everybody, to episode 39, Stressed Out Cells. I am Dr. Christopher Fasano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannat. And this is the Stem Cell Podcast. What's going on, Yos? Oh, nothing much over here. Uh, how's everything with you? It's all right, man. I think I'm officially, like, seasonally depressed. <laughs> you, you're I sad. feel that, like, yeah, it's just like, I'm, like, cooped up in the house. It's freezing cold. The winter's long. I got another cold. It's definitely I got grants been- to write. It's just not, like, this, you know, I mean, it's just, like, so blah. I want to get outside in the sun. I need some light. Yeah. I, mean, I should go light for light therapy or something. That, by the way, is the best acronym for disorder ever. Seasonal affective disorder. Sad. Sad. That is just great. Yeah. It's been <laughs> I have long, sad. It's been a long winter, and I think we're going to rant about that uh, later on as well. So uh, that's, that's, that's yeah, good. We de- we're definitely going to rant about something that's relative to uh, winter. Uh, I'm pretty sure everyone out there has experienced what we're going to talk about on the rant. Um, so, yeah, so... We said the title of today's episode is Stressed Out Cells. I think it's kind of fitting with how I'm feeling stressed out. And so, and everyone in the world gets stressed out. And it, uh, for, for people who don't, uh, are not working with cells directly, cells get stressed out. And uh, including uh, stem cells in particular are a little more subject to stress because they're a very highly dividing, proliferative cell type that's prone to mutations and very, very sensitive. And you don't want a stressed out cell because if you stress your cell out enough, it will die uh, or it will acquire mutations and none of those are good. And so today um, so today we have Dr. Rhonda Newman coming from Thermo Fisher and she's going to tell us about, she's going to talk about cellular stress and then she's going to talk about how they created a solution to that problem, how they've come up with a way to minimize cellular stress and the, and the kind of the experimental approach they took to come up with this, which I think is pretty cool. I'm a big fan of, um, you know, everyone can talk about all the problems, but it's how you come up with solutions to the problems that matter. So uh, she's going to talk about the problem of cellular stress and uh, and how they came up with a solution uh, for the problem and then let us know where we can go find this solution um, if anyone has any issues with cellular stress out there. Uh, so we should uh, keep things moving here. We are the Stem Cell Podcast, the official podcast of the International Society for Stem Cell Research, the ISSCR. Please go to uh, ISSCR.org and check them out. Um, you can still sign up for the meeting. Get on there and go to the annual uh, ISSCR meeting. Like we always say, Yosa and I will be there broadcasting from the floor. Uh, I can use a trip away right now for sure, so I'm counting down <laughs> yeah. the days. Um, let's see here. We got uh, go to stemcellpodcast.com, everybody. Please go there and enter in your email address. We're getting a really nice response. We appreciate it. Go on. We're going to fill you in. We're going to email you with a lot of episodes. We have our survey up. A lot of people respond to the survey. We got some really great comments. Did you see some of those, Yos? They were pretty cool. Pretty interesting. Yeah, lots of good feedback. Uh, keep it coming. We're, we're definitely reading those. Also on the Stem Cell Podcast uh, page for Facebook, we've gotten some good messages from Paul Castro, Jared Ellsworth, Brad Dieter, as always, and Muhammad and Jeff White. Uh, Muhammad Gatti, we've interviewed before. So yeah, we, Muhammad, we, what's going yeah, on, man? Yeah, and Paul, a- hey, Paul, thanks so much for that, man. That was really nice. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate that. That was great. And everybody, you know, the, the, this is one of the things that keeps Yos and I going. The, the feedback is really what we like. It keeps us keeps us pushing forward and wanting to make this better. The one thing I, I, I will say is on the survey, a lot of people are saying, we, we ask in the survey if you guys would be interested in having some sort of online forum. And I think everyone's really for that. It'll give everybody like a voice. They can go on and bring up a subject and people can go back and forth and kind of I mean, like almost like a Facebook for stem cells, if you will. We would host that on the on the website. Or Reddit, a, a stem cells or, Reddit. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. it, you know what's funny? I was on those pub pier. I was looking there the other day. You know, I like put my name in to make sure my name wasn't being talked about. You know, like that. it's like scary. Really? People get after it on there, man. They're like rip papers apart on that thing. It's really? pretty brutal. Pub yeah, beer. it's pretty brutal. I need to go yeah, check, check out the haters on Pub Pier. Yeah, there's a lot of hate out there in science. <laughs> oh, what's going on, everybody out there? Everybody, I think everybody's got sad. Everybody is seasonally affected, or uh, maybe not if you're out west in San Diego. But anyway, um, so let's see here. Yo, you got anything else you want to mention to anybody here? No, no, no announcements on my end. So, uh, all right, so uh, we should move. I head to the uh, science roundup that's brought to you by Thermo Fisher, and it's timely that we say that today because our guest is from Thermo, um, and um, she's going to talk to us about, like I said, this cellular stress and this new product. And if you're really interested to learn more, we'll talk about it later with Rhonda, but you can go on to uh, thermofisher.com slash cryopreservation, and you can read about all the different products they have to minimize cellular stress. And really, you know, I, I don't know if this, about, this is for you. This is maybe like a little bit of a quick detour. It stresses me out when I have to thaw my cells out because for everybody out there, when you when you when you want to, you know, put your cells, you, you have you want to stop your experiments. We can't just throw the cells out, so we freeze them down, like Walt Disney. You know, we just we cryo preserve <laughs> them. We like deep freeze them, uh, so they're frozen. They're alive. They're sleeping. And we have to bring them back back to life again. And for embryonic stem cells or pluripotent stem cells, sometimes that process can take a long time. I mean, it just like you know, you would just thaw them out, and you're praying every day that your cell line comes back. So there's a trick to freezing them down. And so there are products out there apparently that are that are some better than others. Uh, and so that's what Thermo uh, wants to relay to everybody out there. And I think Ron is going to touch on a little bit. So with that, let's uh, let's get into the science roundup. Yo, my man, let's go. Okay, there was a stem cell report study showing that vitamin A affects the formation of human blood cells, uh, increases in retinoic acid, uh, it re reduces the number of blood cells produced during development. So uh, reducing retinoic acid uh, increases blood cell production by 300%, and this was the first time that had been shown in human cells, so that's cool. Uh, Nedjum, New England Journal of Medicine study showing that feeding infants peanut butter reduces peanut allergies by up to 80%. Did you see this? I saw that, man. Yeah. I did. I did see that. I so did. They're calling it tolerance. It was a scary, it was a scary, yeah, it was a scary moment for me when I, when I had my kid. You didn't want to put, you didn't want to make, put, like, don't put peanut butter around them. Don't put peanut butter around them. You know, like, what's going to happen? And I'm reading this. It's like, no, you should give them peanut butter early. Yeah, they're calling it tolerizing. And, you know, I've been sort of saying this anecdotally, like, uh, who, if I have a kid, I would try to encourage uh, my wife or whatever to uh, basically expose the child to things like shrimp and uh, peanuts, uh, you know, through the breast milk or something so that they don't develop uh you know, allergies in the future. So I don't know. It seems like this is a paradigm shifting paper. Uh, it's getting a lot of respect and uh, yeah, may a actually, lot of press. yeah, may actually change what doctors recommend to people. So you can find that in Nedjum. Uh, there was a nature study find, uh, finding that female mice can pass bacterial DNA from the parent to offspring, and this affects immunity and inflammation. They use mice with uh, certain inherited bacteria that make them susceptible to gut injury upon exposure to a chemical. So uh, the inherited gut bacteria called Sudorella or Sudorella, I don't know how, uh, it's not my forte, but it affected the levels of uh, immunoglobulin A antibodies, uh, which help fight gut infection. So uh, you can find that over in nature. 
uh, there was a pediatric survey of over a thousand parents and guardians of Swedish children ages seven to eight, and they found that children in homes where family uh, hand wash where the family hand washed the dishes instead of a uh, you know a machine wash. They found that mm-hmm. those hand washing families had almost half the amount of allergies. So this adds to that hygiene hypothesis that like over sterilized households uh, increase the amount of allergies because you're not exposing the children to germs. Wow. Yeah. So uh, this you can find that in pediatrics. It also got a lot of press as well. Uh, so. uh, I'm gonna have to tell my wife that because she was used to, you know, we we wash put the dishes in the dishwasher more frequently than we used to hand wash. Yeah, and um, I always wondered like, is it a better job of cleaning or not? So this is suggesting that it is in the dishwasher, and that's leading to less germs around. Is that the idea? Yeah, but it's also it's, like you know, parents that do that, or maybe you know, their lifestyle also exposes them in general to more oh, pathogens as well. But I see. it's not just the dishwasher; it's the whole lifestyle. Of yeah, the parents, it's the whole lifestyle. Know? I see what you're saying. So um, yeah, that. You can find that in pediatrics. Uh, there was a PLOS one uh, study using a seven-point scale to rate the most addictive food. What do you think topped that list over there? Most addictive, the most addictive food is yeah. it chocolate. Yes, chocolate, ice cream, yeah, French buddy. fries, and pizza topped the scale. Uh, whereas, guess what was at the bottom? This is funny: cucumbers and carrots <laughs> were at the bottom. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. They're yeah. the most boring thing ever. I know. Anyone who just eat it? I don't know people who just eat a cucumber like like a raw cucumber or a carrot. It's the most waste of like you know space in my stomach. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's so American though. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> it really is. Um, it really is. Uh, there was Wait, a- let me dip it in something at least a little. Give me a little little hummus on that or yeah, something, man. I, a little a little sauce. I like carrots and peanut butter to be honest. But uh, yeah, okay. see, you got yeah. something on that though. Yeah, anyway, there you go. Uh, molecular and cellular oncology studies showing that oleocanthal, this olive oil compound, kills cancer cells within thirty minutes to an hour by causing the cells uh, to be killed by their own enzymes. It, it actually punctures vessels of the lysosomes which, you know, release all these uh, acids and enzymes into the cell. And actually, uh, this compound doesn't seem to harm healthy cells. So uh, interesting, maybe... Uh, maybe that's why you know the Mediterranean diet works so well. All that olive yeah, oil. Yeah, I mean, I think it's in uh, it's in extra virgin olive oil. I believe yeah. I know it's found there too. Yeah, oleocanthal. So uh, another PLOS one study of uh, this this compound called 4-MEI, uh, which is used in caramel colored so- soda uh, drinks. So um, 4-MEI uh, concentrations in um, so they looked at uh, population statistics and uh, the amount of this concentration in soda and found that it, it this chemical poses a cancer risk to consumers. Uh, so watch out for that if you're drinking lots of, I don't know, uh, Dr. Pepper or whatever has that. that so, so I think it's the thing that turns it brown or helps make it brown? Yeah, yeah, that, that caramel-colored soda drink. So uh, it's, it's actually uh, may pose a cancer risk. So you can find that in PLOS 1. Uh, there was a nature epigenome, uh, sorry, nature study of uh, where they mapped the epigenome. So, uh, which is, this is cool. So this was a 10-year, uh, actually, it's, it, the project is a 10-year, $240 million project, which started in 2008. And this is the first uh, paper to come out from it, uh, where the map shows 
each of 127 different tissues and cell types, how they differ. And so, you know, how a nail, you know, a cell in your nail differs from a neuron in your brain, showing how even though they have the same DNA, the epigenome, how that DNA is expressed, how they differ. So um, this is a very important, you know, mapping. Uh, so the, we've already mapped the human genome. This is a mapping of the human epigenome. Um, That's cool. Yeah. So they already found that people that died died from Alzheimer's had epigenetic changes in the DNA involved in the immune response. And they can also predict with 90% accuracy where a metastatic cancer originates. So knowing this epigenome, it's a signature. You could say, oh, this tumor uh, metastasized from this tissue based on its epigenome. Oh. So uh, th- this should be a very important tool in the future. Uh, so. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, so you can find that in nature. Another nature study showing that protein, uh, a protein called ECD4IG, uh, so CD4 immunoglobulin, uh, blocks HIV infection by keeping the virus from binding to immune cells and is as effective against all, is effective against all strains of HIV testing, tested. So, uh, you can find that in nature. Maybe a new way of blocking HIV infection. Uh, the American Journal of Pathology study showing that having type 2 diabetes increases the risk of Alzheimer's disease uh, due to amyloid for- formation in the pancreas. So islet amyloid polypeptide or IAPP, you, you've heard of APP before, so yep. this is islet APP, uh, can build up in the pancreas and kill the beta cells and worsen the diabetes and also push along the development of beta amyloid deposits in the brain. So they found that Alzheimer's patients had 1.4 times the concentration of IAPPB, IAPP than healthy brains. So uh, that's over in the American Journal of Pathology. Um, there was a nature study, uh, this is funny, uh, that found out what causes the munchies. Uh, so <laughs> that, uh, so they found that THC was it, was it, was it marijuana or no, yeah, was they, that the result of the study? <laughs> well, they found that <laughs> THC turned on a part of the brain, uh, the POMC, oh, okay. yeah, the POMC, the preopioid, opiomelanin cortin. So the POMC neurons in the brain that usually tells the body that it's not hungry. So cannabinoids actually turn on an opiate endorphin which travels uh to the hypothalamus to induce uh hunger so usually these neurons release appetite suppressing uh neurochemicals but in this case it's the opposite it makes you you know hungry instead so uh you can find this was that. in nature? Yeah, it was in nature. So, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. So uh, there was a development study showing that eggs from obese moms uh, had that had mitochondrial defects and their offspring had fewer mitochondria in the liver and kidneys when compared to controls, indicating that mitochondria failed to propagate. So they used a mouse called Blobby. <laughs> this, this, they, they actually call this mouse Blobby. Uh, this mouse strain has a <laughs> mutation that causes them to overeat and become obese. And they were able to reverse this problem using inhibitors of uh, ER stress, a uh, protein uh, compound called BGP-15. Uh, so you could find that in development. 
Blobby. Blobby. <laughs> I love that mouse name. Uh, there was a PNAS, our favorite journal. PNAS. PNAS. <laughs> yeah. Study describing a bacterium that turns inedible plant parts into ethanol. Uh, it does this three to five times faster than baker's yeast and can convert atmospheric nitrogen into ammonium. So this suggests that elemental nitrogen could one day replace industrial ammonium in biofuel reactors that which break down uh, plant cellulose into ethanol. So this could one day reduce uh, biofuel costs. So. I'm into that. It's all about that ethanol, man. Trying to make that ethanol. Yep. Corn, Uh, right? I mean, that's like a big source of ethanol. Corn ethanol. Yep. 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 Uh, There is a science translational medicine study uh, that tracks skid patients. You know, the bubble boy syndrome, severe uh, combined immunodeficiency. So the skid uh, patients that receive T uh, memory stem cells and the patients that uh, received infusions of genetically modified blood cells, they found that they are still present after more than a decade and gave rise to other uh, types of T lymphocytes, both central memory and effector memory uh, cells. Uh, so those infusions cool. were pretty pretty long-lasting. Uh, autism research studies showing that children with autism spectrum disorder have differences in the protein levels in their saliva when compared to, to typically developing children. So the proteins identified in their saliva primarily have functions in immune system responses or are elevated in, uh, in people with gastrointestinal problems. So you can find that in autism. That'd be great if there was a saliva test uh, for autism. Dude. Your blood contains naturally strong uh, uh, germ fighters because these alligators live in bacterial infested, you know, ponds and swamps and all that stuff. So they, uh, they're a good candidate uh, because they live in this bacteria um, uh, environment and they rarely get sick. So the, their antimicrobial peptides in their blood are more effective than uh, our current antibiotics. So you can find that in PLOS1. I thought that was interesting looking at that is very cool. Blood. Yeah, uh, there was a nature medicine uh, study of uh, psilocybin, which is a plant extract that can be applied to treat Cushing disease, which is a rare hormone condition caused by a tumor on the pituitary gland. So they used uh, cell culture, uh, cell cultures, and animal models and the human tumor tissue uh, that they showed that. The psilocybin, this milk thistle seed extract, can stop overproduction of adrenocorticotropin uh, production and slow the tumor growth. They also found that psilocybin binds HSP90 uh, and allows glucocorticoid receptor molecules to dissolve. So that's over in Nature Medicine, uh, maybe a new treatment for Cushing disease. Um, there was a... Um, Molecular psychiatry study showing that long-term smoking accelerates cortical thinning, that process over the years that uh, happens in natural aging. So uh, don't smoke too much out there. It it could uh, enhance that thinning of the brain. (laughs) Um, There was a FACEB study showing that mice exposed to pyrethroid pesticide uh, delta methrin in utero and through lactation exhibits several features of ADHD, including dysfunctional dopamine signaling in the brain, hyperactivity, uh, working memory and attention deficits and impulse-like behavior. 
Uh, so you can find that on Faceb. Uh, so stay away from that pesticide if you can. Uh, and over, I don't know if you saw this, there's over 100 cases of a mysterious paralysis in the U.S. and some Cana- Canadian regions since August of 2014. Uh, and it may be linked to enterovirus D68 because it was found in the nasal swabs of 8 out of 41 patients. They're calling this syndrome, this mysterious syndrome, acute flaccid myelitis. And it starts with a fever and then loss of strength in one or more limbs. And physical therapy helps, but most don't improve. So this mysterious <laughs> paralysis going on. I'm not sure what's going on with that, but uh, dude, I don't know. I don't know anything with the word flaccid in it is just not a good situation. <laughs> I <know>. that's, that's <laughs> horrible, right? Uh, let's see here. Uh, nitric oxide journal st- study showing that. AP39 compound generates uh, minute quantities of hydrogen sulfide. You know, that rotten egg smell uh, inside cells significantly lowers uh, heart rate, uh, blood pressure, and blood vessel stiffness in animals with high blood pressure. So using rotten eggs, I guess, to uh, lower blood pressure. And uh, they got to use them for something. Uh, finally, I'm going to end on a J Neuro study showing that mice that receive immune cells from bullied mice experience a mood boost. Uh, <laughs> isn't that crazy? So after the mouse is bullied, they put like a mouse uh, in with a dominant male, and uh, I guess they use the blood from the bullied mouse. So after the bullied mouse is abused for two weeks, the adaptive immune cells were extracted and injected into mice that lacked them, and they found that it had an antidepressant effect. So I guess, you know, getting bullied isn't that bad at the end of the day. It makes you... Uh, no, it makes you stronger, man. Yeah, it makes if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. So that's it. It makes it you stronger. Uh, so that's it for me. <laughs> what do you got on your end? I love, I love these studies, man. There's, some of these studies are so cool. Um, all right, so first, let me just start. I, I want to correct something I said in the intro. Uh, the link uh, for those uh, products for the cellular stress is uh, life, lifetechnologies.com slash uh, cryopreservation. I said thermofisher.com slash, but it's life technology slash cryopreservation. I get it confused because they they're sometimes use those interchangeably. Yeah. Um, before I get into mine too, I want to remind everybody about the next-gen stem cell conference in Saratoga. Registration is now open. You can still get the early fee, early registration. It's very affordable. Uh, it's not like uh, other meetings that have this ridiculous, uh, crazy registration price. Uh, please, everybody, it's May 6th. Uh, it's going to be a great time, great speakers, uh, just a great, great party, great, great discussion. It's a really awesome time. So go to nextgenstemcell.com. Uh, you can use podcast and you'll get a discount on your registration. So please, everybody, go check it out at least. And we hope to see you there. All right. So, you know, we talked last time about Gordy Howe. Yo, remember we were talking about Gordy Howe, the uh, Mr. Hockey. He's like one of the most famous. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Knopfler got into something with like Keith Olbermann about it. Like it was, it was basically like saying that you know, it's Gordy Howe. He had his health was just like the, he was he was dying. I mean, he he had a stroke and he's just bad. He was he was on his way out. They said it was awful. So he ended up going to Tijuana to get one of these uh, stem cell transplants. And since then, he's like remarkably remarkably better. Like it's it's not even they're saying he's not even close. He, he's he's like a functioning human again, and. You know, there's brought up a lot of debate in the field because we, we talk a lot about what's called stem cell tourism, going to these offshore places and getting stem cell treatments that are really not, uh, you know, have been proven to be effective. Um, and it's you got it's very expensive and it's very dangerous. 
And so here's an example where he did that. And I think it would have cost about $40,000, but they did it to, they did it for free for Gordie Howe. I guess being like, if Gordie Howe gets better, it'd be great publicity. Yeah. Um, but what would happen if he would have died? That would have been awful yeah. uh, on a lot of levels. Anyway, so uh, so there's been a debate about this because he's been, he's been outspoken about it. And so I was just reading an article uh, yesterday and it was they interviewed Gordie Howe's son, who's a physician. He's like the head of radiology of a of a hospital or something in in Canada. And he what he he actually had some interesting points. So he was saying was that um, he understands about this whole um, you know tourism idea and how people are skeptical, but he truly feels that this was not a fluke. Like he he as a physician, he says that his dad's recovery is not a fluke. And it's definitely attributed to this treatment. And he's really excited for the future of stem cell treatments. And he says that while there, you know, there definitely needs to be, you know, that we need to continue the studies and make sure it's safe for sure. Um, and and there's, he's, you know, the, 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 the future of this is, is tremendous and it's going to be awesome. But he's, you know, he keeps saying like everybody keeps hating on it. But when he looks at his dad, he doesn't, you know, it's like, how what, can I hate on it? It, do, it fixed my dad. Do you know what they injected in? in what kind of cells? Uh, it's they... not in this article. It was in the last time. Jeez, I, 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 man. I want to say it was something like, it might have been like bone marrow or some, yeah. some sort of like something. And they put it, they did it like intrathecal. I think they like put it into his spinal cord or something like that. Interesting. Uh, it's in the last article I did. I don't really know. And they had to do two rounds of it. It wasn't like just a one shot deal. They had to do two rounds of it. But He's like remarkably better. So, you know, he's saying like, I'm looking at my dad and my dad is like a completely different person and everyone's telling me how all these places don't work. So like, you know, sure, maybe it's hit or miss. Maybe sometimes it does or it doesn't. But don't tell me that this is all for a loss. You know, this definitely is promising and we should support it, which I agree. I mean, obviously, I do stem cell research, so I support it. Uh, I don't support people going off to Tijuana and getting stuff thrown into their spinal cord, yeah. but uh, I, you know, I do think that um, um, that uh, you know, to his point, if my if my if I wasn't in this game and my father was like that and he went down, and he was fixed. I would feel pretty positive about it too. So uh, for everyone coming out there and hating on it, I think he's just trying to say, as a physician, uh, he's he's happy with the progress and he's excited for the future of stem cells. For that, I can go with that. So we'll leave it at well. We'll I leave it at. That. I just love uh, on on Knopfler's uh, blog where he got into it with Keith Overman over this, and he's like that one line where he got blocked by him on Twitter, uh, yeah. Paul Knopfler, and he just writes, "What the heck?" <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Hey, what the heck was that?" And it's funny because Keith Overman's such a such a loudmouth. You would you wouldn't you would expect him to not be so like, "Ew, I'm yeah. blocking you." Well, you he know? just but got he, suspended on Twitter uh, because of Twitter posts. So Keith Keith has a a Twitter issue. So yeah, he does. Yeah. He's got Twitter problems. Paul should feel uh, vindicated. Yeah, Paul, see that? Vindicated. Uh, so, uh, Paul Knopfler, for everyone that we're talking about, you can, uh, IPSL.com is his, is his website. Uh, all right, so this is in science. Um, I'm looking at the picture, Joseph. It's so funny. That the name of the article is Stem Cell Pioneer Joins Force with Stem Cell Fraudster. Yeah. And so, this is, uh, Sh- Shukrat Matalopov from Oregon Health and Science University and, uh, Mitogenome Therapeutics and, Wusak Wang of Swam Biotech Research Foundation in Seoul. Now, for everybody there, um, so we could start with Wang. He was the scientist. It was in I think it was in 2006. He had two 
Uh, he had to retract two papers published in Science in which his team claimed that had used uh, the technique, you know, employed in, you know, Dolly the Sheep cloning to create human embryonic stem cells matched to specific people who had various diseases like therapeutic cloning. All right. So, yeah, so it's, uh, it's SCNT, somatic cell nuclear transfer. Yeah, basically, exactly. reprogramming using an enucleated egg. Exactly. And we, we've talked about it a bunch. We had Dieter on and some people. We've talked about this. And, you know, uh, you know, uh, investigators, I guess, determined that all the claims were bogus and false. And he was fired from Seoul National University. He was later convicted of embezzling research funds and bioethics violations. I think he got out of jail time. He had a suspended sentence. But he so he he was, you know, his led to his demise. But quietly, he's continued to be cloning his, his cloning work on animals, which is really where his strength was. Uh, particularly pet dogs. Yep. And he's been doing this at a soul-based biotech research foundation. It's a private institute that friends established for him because he is a very smart man. And he did with a lot of great work with yeah. these primate cloning. cloning. Um, and he just, you know, he took it a little too far. Um, and so he was awarded an American patent covering his technique in February two, 2014. Did you know that, Yosa? No, I didn't know that. No. Yeah, I didn't know that either. So now on the other side, uh, Dr. Matalopov, he's from Oregon, uh, Oregon Health and Science. He made a series of breakthroughs in primate stem cell research in really recent time. And he reported 2013 using the same technique, the somatic cell nuclear transfer. He was the one who derived stem cells from cloned embryos. Okay, so really, like the two of them, their, their skill set is tremendous. So... This is a recent interview, and they, they called it an exclusive interview with Dr. Wang. Uh, he told South Korea's a South Korea newspaper that he, Metalopov, and another another gentleman, a CEO of Boya Life Group in Wuxi, China, have agreed to joint, jointly work on the mechanisms of cloning. So it's like a super cloning group. Um, and Boya Life, which is a number of stem cell regenerative medicine-related research, commercial efforts, I guess, they're going to put up about 95 mil wow. to help this go. Wow. And since you know, it says the Metalopov strength is primate stem cells, Wang's specialty is in cell nuclear transplantation, so they wanted to combine the strengths and create breakthrough outcomes in curing maternal line genetic disease, on which is really what they're focusing. Uh, and so uh, I think they're going to really focus on animals here. Uh, and and then hopefully bring it back out to humans. So uh, we should. I, I mean, we should give a little back. I mean, Metalopov actually accomplished what Wusak claimed but he did it claimed, right yeah he did it what uh last year or yeah it was very the, recent a couple of year ago a couple of years ago now maybe yeah so and you know metalopov cloned the first monkey stem cell lines and now human and uh Wusuk, it cloned man's best friend he cloned the dog and uh those two together are quite the pair i mean they're the cloning gods and i saw that uh metalopov is also trying to do that Three parent uh, in a, the U.S. that was recently approved for the mitochondrial dysfunction, uh, as well. So um, I don't know. They're they're pushing it forward. So I, do you know what we should get him on the show? Huh? I, I would love to talk to him. He's he's a he's a, I, I asked him a question once when he came to Rockefeller, and he's he's very thoughtful and um, he's really pushing along. So and we should reach out to him and get him on the show. Yeah, that'd be great. All right, so let's move on. So you know what? Good for them. I, I'm not in the business of hating anybody. I always everyone comes back, you know. So good for them, yeah. uh, or good for him, I should say, because Metalopov hasn't done anything. Right. Um, okay. So this we talked about this on the podcast. I was some. It was a while ago now. So this is this is this is a Supreme Court case rejects stem cell patent case. So there was like a nine year 
legal challenge to human embryonic stem cell patents, and it just ended and because the Supreme Court declined to hear the case. So that's over. Nine years in the Supreme Court was like, nah, we're not going to hear it. Uh, basically, uh, the decision means that WARF, or the Wisconsin Alumni Research Foundation, will get to keep its rights for the cells, which were discovered by Jamie Thompson in the University of Wisconsin. Uh, and so what, what was going on was uh, they were challenging this um, because what they said was that uh, this was an obvious this this human embryonic stem cell discovery was an obvious extension of methods used to derive non primate embryonic stem cells. So when something's obvious, it's not patentable. So what the, that was the challenge. They were saying that you shouldn't this patent of human embryonic stem cells shouldn't exist because it was obvious that if you could do it for you know non primate embryonic stem cells, you can do it for primate stem cells embryonic yeah. stem cells. So that that was what the dispute was, but it was declined. However. What the challengers did succeed in doing is they did succeed in preventing WARF from gaining rights over uh, induced pluripotent stem cells. Okay, so that was successful here. So the WARF will not have any claim on IPS cells, and that will all probably remain with Shinya uh, Yamanaka. So uh, if they got anything done in this, is that. But they didn't succeed in, in where their challenge began and to challenge the patents of WARF. So, so uh, the lower court uh, standing, that's what is the law now or what? their decision is what is is the the law of the day i guess and so that means what there's more restrictions on what people could do with human es cells i think i think there is the restrictions currently like wharf controls anything that happens to humans so if you have a human es therapy you have to go through wharf right you got to license it out and so they really control a lot like it's a big you know when you're when you're when you're going to take your ES cells and make your cell of interest and go to a therapeutic, uh, you always have to deal with Wisconsin now because they hold the patent. So anything wow. you do, anything you derive from them is going to go through them. Wow. So this is why the challengers were challenging it. They were saying you're holding up all these therapies, and so they tried challenging it this way. So what it says is that the U.S. Patent Trade Office turned down the challenge, and that case reached the Supreme Court last year, and then they didn't hear the case. So uh, the Supreme Court let that decision stand, and therefore it's now gone. So, wow. uh, so it still remains with Wharf. Yeah, so, so it's interesting. So I that's a big deal. That's a big deal. That it means, is a big deal. But what? but they did succeed in not not allowing Wharf to get their hands on IPS cells. No, so, all right. Yeah, that's a good point. IPS. Is I mean, I guess, more but valuable. the only per, the, the only person that that really affects is Shinya. Right. We right. still have to deal with those patents. Yeah. Like you and I would have to deal with those patents. Yeah, yeah. That's so, true. I mean, you know, there's that. All right. So, this was in Cell Stem Cell. This is a forum article. It says assessing stem, state stem cell programs in the United States. How has state funding affected pub- publication trends? So, I thought this was interesting. I couldn't get the article. I'm going to try to keep getting it. Um, so, you know, there was like federal funding limitations were placed on human embryonic stem cell research. So, several states responded to this uh, by creating state stem cell funding programs like New York. Uh, California, uh, but little is known. Little has been known about the impact of those, mm-hmm. uh, and so they examine here how the state programs affect publication trends. So I thought that was interesting. It's, it just gives you like a summary of how well those states uh, did. Uh, this is in Nature Communications generation of ciliary margin-like stem cell niche from self-organizing human retinal tissue. This is out of the group of Yoshiseki Sasai, the now late Yoshiseki Sasai, and I wanted to talk about this because. Uh, He's gone, and he's great, and he, I'd like to see that he's still publishing. Um, That's they just, amazing. This paper really, 
Yeah, it's like posthumously. That's right? I know. That's like a Tupac song coming out like after yeah, he is. died. You know, like that's it great. is. That's yeah. why I wanted to do it. Basically, they found that. Uh, so there's these stem cells in the ciliary margin and the developing neural retina, and they contribute to retinal growth. It's like forms this niche, and they've already described the Society Lab, the self-organizing human retinal tissue and culture, and they are able to find that uh, they can create this ciliary margin-like stem cell niche there as well. So uh, that's in NatureCon. Uh, quickly here, let me move through. Transcription factor binding dynamics during human ESL differentiation out of the lab of Alex Meisner. They looked at... Uh, so uh, they investigated or interrogated, I guess, the uh, the genome-wide binding data for 38 transcription factors with extensive epigenome and transcri- transcriptional data across the differentiation of human ES to three germ layers. Mm-hmm. So they were basically looking at the you know regulatory dynamics, and they show like lineage-specific behavior of these selected factors. So putting together this network of how the chromatin remodels and where the transcription factors bind and things like this upon differentiation in different lineages. That's right in Alex's wheelhouse. He does a good job at doing all that kind of stuff. Also in nature, out of Alex's lab again, and Yehiel Elkabetz. Oh, boy. Uh, what's up, Yehiel? Uh, Yehiel uh, was in the lab of, with Lorenz, with Yos and I. Uh, this is dissecting neural differentiation regulatory networks through epigenetic footprinting. So they, you know, differentiated uh, pluripotent cells to uh, nervous system, and they used the HES5 line, Joseph, which is oh, yeah. basically a marker, way, the way you can look at neural precursors. So they were able to uh, basically look at the autogeny of cortical neural stem cells and progenitor cells and dissect the regulatory me- mechanisms that orchestrate this uh, differentiation process. So they did like a comp- they developed a computational framework. Uh, for key regulators of each state transition. So uh, congrats to Alex and, and uh, congrats, Yekiel. I know you've been working on that for a while. And uh, lastly, um, this is in nature. Intracellular alpha-ketoglutarate maintains the pluripotency of embryonic stem cells. I saw that. So, yeah. Saw that? Yeah. So it's like... Craig Thompson's lab? Most, yes. Craig Thompson's lab. Most, I guess most mammalian cells cannot divide without exogenous glutamine, even though glutamine is a non-essential amino acid. Uh, and they show that M- mouse ESLs grow under conditions that maintain naive pluripotency. Are, are they are capable of dividing in the absence of this exogenous glutamine? But despite that, ESLs consume high levels of exogenous glutamine when the metabolite is available. Uh, so it's a comparison to like differentiated cells. Naive ESLs use glucose and glutamine to maintain a high level of this this compound called alpha ketoglutarate. Um, so. What the work reveals is that intracellular alpha-ketoglutarate can contribute to the maintenance of cellular identity and have an important mechanistic role in the tr- transcriptional and epigenetic state of stem cells. So I, I like metabolism, cellular energetics, metabolism, and stem cells, so I thought I'd, uh, I'd close there. Uh, with that, Yost, let's uh, move on to the interview portion of the show. Okay, Chris, why don't you bring on our guests? All right, so after unprecedented technical difficulties, um, the Stem Cell Podcast is happy to have Dr. Rhonda Newman on the show. Um, Rhonda's a staff scientist at Thermo Fisher. Rhonda, welcome to the Stem Cell Podcast. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. No problem. So, yeah, so we had we worked out every possible bug, which seems in glitch, to get Rhonda to come on the show. At one point, we were almost going to have her do the interview in a car because of the way <laughs> yeah. it was working out. But we're we're all set to go. So let's let's just start right away, Rhonda. What, I guess for for context and background, why don't you introduce yourself as a scientist to the audience? You know, give them a little bit about your scientific background and how you got into um, stem cell world. 
Yeah. Um, so I actually began uh, science, my science endeavors and my PhD at the University of Iowa. And when I was there, I was a protein biophysical chemist. So quite a bit different than the current role that I play now, but it really brought to light uh, interest in cell signaling pathways. And in that context, I was looking at ligand-induced protein allosteria and the interaction of, of proteins together. Um, from that, uh, as I was doing a lot of biophysical energetics, of course, you wonder about the context in the context of the cell. And while we were collaborating with a lot of people that were doing animal models, I didn't you know, get hands-on experience in that role. So in my postdoc, I went uh, to the University of Oregon to the lab of Ken Prohoda, and there I got to really get into cell biology. Um, at that point, I was studying asymmetric cell, stem cell division and Drosophila neuroblastis, a model system, but still focused on protein allosteria and the role that it plays there. So, And I was still able to use uh, my biophysical chemistry background there. But I, I really feel like that was the turning point for me in, in seeing the light of stem cell biology and, and the role there. Um, I then went to work uh, with life Techn Leg Legacy Life Technologies at the time in Eugene, Oregon um, at the Molecular Probe site, and there I was a part of the non-hepatic primary cells team. So, again, continuing learning about cell biology, and there I worked on developing 3D organotypic models. Um, but I still, you know, the stem cell biology <laughs> field called called me back and so here I've been working at, in Frederick Maryland I've relocated here and for the past three years I've been working on cryopreservation of, of pluripotent stem cells and also in evaluating um, developing internal solutions for cell culture as in terms of the growth medium and matrices but also evaluating external technologies so, um, so, th but I should say, you know, I worked, this is maybe just a little, uh, for me to take a little stroll. I worked on NUM and asymmetric division in, yeah. in grad school a little bit. So, um, I remember those days and watching cells divide. So for everybody, yeah, just to be clear, asymmetric division is when a progenitor cell or a stem cell, they divide into two and um, they produce what we call daughter cells. So this is the mother cell or, and divides into two daughter cells. And an asymmetric division would result in two different daughter cells. One most likely is a progenitor cell and the other turns into something else. And so uh, we would study the determinants that got you know, sent to one versus the other. So that's a very cool, um, very cool system. Um, so, Rhonda, let's talk a little bit about cellular stress just in general. Um, yeah. I know Yosef and I and obviously yourself are familiar with the idea. I think for the scientists out there, they're familiar. But maybe the non-scientists out there are wondering, you know, how the hell does a cell get stressed? You know, the, you know when we right. think of stress, well, I think of writing a grant. Uh, you know, yeah. Yosef's day yesterday was might be stressful trying to do all those surgeries and get them done on time. Um, so can you explain to everyone basically, you know, what, what is considered to be a, a cellular stress? Sure. Um, yeah, as we all know, whenever you're, we're culturing cells, you have to go through a variety of steps in that culture process. And as you're doing so, depending on your cell type, they will encounter stresses along the way. So in, in the context of thinking about cell stress that pluripotent stem cells go through, 
you know, as they're cultured and adherent culture, you obviously, every time you passage the cells, they're coming off the surface and, and they're being disrupted from their ECM component, which is really keeping them happy. So they uh, undergo a variety of mechanical as well as, depending on if you treat them with enzymes, they also undergo enzymatic stress. In the process of cryopreservation, which we typically will do, you know, at particularly in early passage IPSCs to make sure that we have a really uh, robust bank at the beginning of the process to make sure there's not genetic instability that might occur down down the pathway during those cryopreservation processes there while you do have you know slow rate freezing you also have very nice cryopreservation media that People, have, uh, a number of scientists have developed over the years. Um, while we have those tools, the cells still encounter a variety of stresses because not only are they having to be removed from the culture system in general for um, suspension, cell cryopreservation, but then you're also treating them with those cryoprotectants, which oftentimes have toxicity to the cells. And then um, you're also worrying about, you know, this, the shrinkage that's occurring in, in that process, as well as whenever you go to cryopreserve them, you have intracellular, extracellular ice formation happening and increasing the concentration of solutes within the cell. And then whenever you go to thaw out your vial of cryopreserved cells, then again, you have to worry about, you know, the temperature, the cryoprotectant impact on the cells, and then also the swelling of the cells and potential rupture. So if you can think of it in that context, and that's just in, you know, standard culture processes, but inevitably in a lot of instances, we want to do downstream techniques with these as well. And so when you get to talking about transfection, electroporation, you know, fact sorting, then you're adding even more additional stress on top of the cells. So what this ends up doing is uh, triggering a lot of, you know, apoptosis and necrosis. And and so in that context, the cells are undergoing an extreme amount of, st- of stress. The reactive oxygen species are increasing in the cells. And, and they really, you know, that's, that's really a stress response trigger. So much like we, you know, endure stress in our daily lives and our work lives and um, the cells, you know, are enduring the stress as we're manipulating them in culture. So uh, we should say, like, this whole idea of freezing down cells, how important that is. You you mentioned it that, like, say uh, said researcher gets a cell line from a collaborator and they need to make large stocks in the beginning to make sure that in the future, say, uh, there's, you know, chromosomal instability through multiple passages. They have a nice, safe stock in the beginning. So making those stocks is clearly important. And what you have to do is freeze them down large quantities of it. And most people, I, I guess the standard protocol is to take uh, something rich in nutrients like maybe fetal bovine serum and add 10% DMSO and freeze your stem cells down, uh, cryopreserve them. Um, but anybody who's done this knows that waking up the cells from that process, it could take a while and it's sort of variable. Do, do you guys know why or is that the primary what, what you're working on? Why like... The, yeah. There's variability in how cells wake up from that process or what's yeah. the, the best media for that? Yeah, I can definitely speak to that. Um, 
So as far as, you know, uh, I've learned a number of things in development of cryopreservation medium and recovery uh, supplements over the past, you know, three years. So I would, uh, there's a few things, you know, to note is what is your confluency of your cells at the time that you harvest them? How are you harvesting them? How long is it taking you when you, once you add that cryo medium to the cells, the time, there's a critical time component, you know, in, in the process of you add that pre-chilled cryomedium to the cells, then how long is it taking you? So sometimes you'll, you'll see variability, like say one time I'm only banking 10 vials, but the other time I'm banking 100, then obviously the cells are likely to, you know, experience a range of, you know, amount of time that they're spending in that cryoprotectant but before they're frozen. So there's really a um, concentration dependence of the cryoprotectant as well as a, the duration of time that it takes to get them to a cryopreserved state. So um, I'd say that those are two of the, the main things. And then obviously the confluency is, is also very important parameter. And as you said, you know, some people are using very rich media sources like FBS and 10% DMSO. But in some instances, you know, if you're wanting to move to more of a xeno-free environment or more toward the, clin you know, clinical translation space, then oftentimes you can't use those, those um, really rich media sources. So has the field moved on past... 10% DMSO or is that just still the standard uh, that that's so that's, can I just want to can I just <clears throat> can we just explain quickly what DMSO is I know I know a lot of the scientists out there know that but for many people they might not so um, you know yeah. maybe Ronnie you can explain DMSO or just cryo cryopreservant uh, with yeah, the ideas yeah so what a cryoprotectant is basically doing is um, you're replacing a lot of the water inside of the cells because obviously if you have a high water content within the cell, then whenever it's frozen down, then ice crystals can form and then that results in mechanical you know, disruption of the membranes um, upon freezing. So obviously you want to avoid that. So one of the ways that people get around that is they'll typically use cryo, uh, cryoprotectant such as DMSO, propylene glycol, um, polyeth you know, different um, glycols, and they'll use those to replace the water content in the cells. Not only does that um, lower the, the freezing point so that you don't get the intracellular ice formation, but it also results in the cells not shrinking too much so that they're able to go go through that um, very harsh process and maintain membrane integrity as well as not get the intracellular ice formation. And so now um, I think Yosef's question was, is that still where we are, right, with the, with the 10% yeah. DMSO? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there's been a variety of different um, alternative solutions that have been proposed. So there, um, the polyolysine is one that's uh, commonly stated in literature and one that there are a few commercial cryomedias available. Um, they, however, perform very poorly in the context of pluripotent stem cells. Um, as far as DMSO, whenever you're looking at other cryopreservation, uh, cryoprotectants, um, when you're talking about things like propylene glycol and other um, cryoprotectants, then oftentimes what you have to do is say, what is the, you know, 
impact of toxicity and which one it has the lower toxicity for my cells. And I think that that's really where DMSO is um, shown to be to be the gold standard. And, um, and I think that's why it's included in many of the cryopreservation solutions that you'll see on the market. And, and why, do, why, yeah, this is sort of a side question. Why, why not use glycerin? I'm not sure. Like glycerin seems to be yeah. the, the cryopreservant for at least bacterial cells. I'm not sure why Yeah, it's not yeah. used for mammalian. Right. So, um, I know that at least in development of our product, we, we, we looked at a few things like glycerol, uh-huh. um, and and pre- predominantly, whenever you're talking about glycerol solutions, I know that they use it in a large context in vitrification. And vitrification is slightly different than uh, cryopreservation, you know, in general, because what you're doing is you're you are quickly cooling the the sample, so you're using very high concentrations of glycerol, and then you're quickly cooling the sample. Um, at very fast rates. So that as, uh, you know, having a background in protein crystallography, that's typically what we do in that context, but that isn't very high throughput. Um, Mm -hmm. So you would end up having to do a few samples at a time. And um, so it's very laborious. You wouldn't be able to do a lot of ampules at the same time. Yeah, no, I, you actually brought up a good point, the, the, the slowly freezing versus instant freeze. So uh, we know that instant freeze is bad for the cells if you just throw them on dry ice. That's, that's mm-hmm. bad for, the, for at least uh, human and, and mouse cells. Um, it, it, why, why is that, I guess, is my question. Uh, why does yeah. it matter? Why is it, you know, I, I guess, yeah. you know, it's like that, that, that frog analogy where you put in the, the boiling water. If, you, if it's already boiling, yeah. the frog jumps out the, the pot right. versus if it's a slow, you know, it, it just, if it slowly boils, then it, the, the, the frog doesn't jump out. And I guess it's too <laughs> yeah, bad for so, the frog. Wait is, that, wait, is that really true about the yeah, frog? Yeah, I never... yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, if man. you slowly Sorry. turn up the heat, it, it won't jump out though. The, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Sorry pot, about so. that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Go ahead, Ron. I'm sorry. A lot of it depends on your uh, concentration of your cryoprotectant. So if you're in a standard, say, 10% DMSO solution, then, you know, you're not, it's not like you have 100% DMSO in in this sample. So whenever you put it on to ice, um, like, quickly like that, then the, the ice crystals will form very quickly. Um However, you know, slow rate cooling allows the the water that's still remaining in the cell to slowly cool, um, and that's the important point there. Whereas with um, whenever you're doing vitrification, you're using very high concentrations of the cryoprotectant, so you have less water inside the, the cell. Can you explain that term? Uh, I don't think everybody's familiar with that term, vitrification. Yeah, so uh, vitrification and those those protocols are typically using greater than forty percent of, of cryoprotectant, and in that instance, what they're doing is flash freezing the the cells. So in that instance, you would load them with a very high concentration of cryoprotectant, and then you would immediately plunge them into the vapor phase of a liquid nitrogen tank. Of course, you know you can't do that in a very uh, large-scale manner. And they all typically do this for in things like oocytes. Or, um, there's a lot of interest in, in it in that context. So you'll see 
um, at cryopreservation preservation conferences, a lot of people focusing on those um what are those conferences there. like? That must be fun. Are they you like uh, Chris mentioned Walt Disney. Where they roll him out? <laughs> is he is he a star at the conference? <laughs> <laughs> You're funny. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was funny. I'm sorry. It was funny for me after the fact. I don't know why. It took me a minute, and then it's funny. Sorry, Rhonda. Yeah. Go ahead. That's <laughs> okay. Um. um yeah, then no, I never heard that term vitrification. So the the point of yeah. that is for uh I guess oocytes primarily to yeah. flash freeze um yep. cells. Very you know, sensitive cells that there's not a lot of, you know, um whereas the slow freezing, which is a conventional um slow freezing method that we're used to is mm. slower. But it has, you know, you can do many more bios of I, cells. Obviously, this is important for women who want to freeze their eggs, I guess. Uh, yes, incredibly important. important. Yeah. That's happening Which is becoming more. a very, a much more popular thing nowadays, I would, I, I would, I would add. Um, yeah. Um, and so I guess, uh, Rhonda, tell us, you know, in the, in the last part of this interview, tell us a bit about your progress, um, you know, there at Thermo and what you guys have come up with uh, to yeah. create some solutions to these problems because it is a major problem out there for cells and for, for people growing cells and having to freeze them down and, and, and to address these issues. So tell us what, what some of the solutions that are currently available. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so in the Parkinson's collaboration, we obviously got a lot of insight into the researchers' world as far as you know their struggles when they generate these early passage PSEs and they want to bank them down and then not having consistency in the recovery of their cells from cryopreservation. And so we really noted significant pain points in that process. And um, while there were, while people were typically, as you were saying, you know, using FBS, 10% DMSO, and then when they were recovering using traditional rock inhibitors like Y27632, not everyone can do that, particularly, you know, as you move to more of xenofree systems and, and wanting to move into that clinical translational space. So in order to address those needs, you know, we really wanted something that would um, support the cells, give you experimental flexibility, so allow you to cryopreserve them as clumps or cryopreserve them as single cells, and then also uh, be able to cryopreserve them from a variety of feeder-free systems as well as feeder-dependent and have efficient cell recovery. Um, So to that context, what we ended up doing was developing a PSC cryopreservation kit that just recently launched. And what this contains is it, it contains a 50 ml bottle of, of PSC cryo medium. So this is optimized for pluripotent stem cells. And then it also has a recovery component. And in the recovery component, um, it has a pro-survival small molecule, which is a rock inhibitor. But we've shown that it's much more specific and, and inhibits fewer off-target pathways than Y27632 or thiazovivin, two of the common rock inhibitors. And this is really important because people are always questioning what are the, really because a large amount of reactive oxygen species that build up within the cell. And so we really want to be able to maintain that cell health and and really dampen the impact of reactive oxygen species on the cell health. And so 
to that context, um, the, the Revitacel supplement is the second component. And so then that's really, you know, driving forward, you know, protecting the cells from the apoptosis, protecting them from the stresses, because oftentimes while you have really high post-thaw viability, your viability will decrease over the first 24 hours in culture. And sometimes you can come back and find that you have an unusable culture or that you can't, uh, you'll have to culture it for a long period of time in order to get it back up to where you need for your experiment. Um, the Revitacel supplement too, it's, it's been really interesting, you know, working with that one because that one also, you know, you can use it in the context of if you already have cells banked in other cryo solutions, um, you can recover it in the Revitacel supplement and it performs better than uh, traditional rock inhibitor mm. in that context. Um, and you can also use it, as I mentioned earlier in the interview, about... Um, you know, passaging methods and, and how it can stress the cells. So obviously some, for some applications, you may need to go to single cells in order to do your gene editing work or, you know, or you want to have consistency and know exactly how many cells you have seeded in each well. And so that really allows you to, in these really lean medium systems such as Essential 8, um, it allows you to maintain really nice cell health in the context of single cell passaging. So we've looked at it in a variety of ways, and it's really interesting to see where researchers are really taking these products and, and implementing them into workflows that perhaps we didn't, whenever we set out to, you know, establish this, that they're using them now in their, their workflows. So we've had a number of people come back to us and say, you know, I'm using this, you know, in, after my fact sorting and to really help my cells and it's, it's been helping or, or get feedback from people saying, you know, your, your PSC cryopreservation kit also works really well for DA neurons, you know, so it's really interesting to, you know, get that feedback. And so I, I, I'm hopeful that, you know, over the coming months, we'll have additional application notes that will come out about even additional applications. Well, there's so many applications for this. I know people have talked about using this for like, you know, hospital patients to, you know, freeze the patient uh, to get them to the right doctor in time. And, you know, it's not just uh, for the Star Wars, Star Wars fans out there like Han Solo when he's frozen uh, with, the, I don't know if it, that, that iconic scene of when they take him out of the frozen state. This, it's not just that. It's, uh, it's actually, there's so many applications. I know people have looked in nature with like the woolly bear and all these natural uh animals that like produce their own yeah. cryopreserve cryopreservants and uh yeah. actually hibernate in the winter and then come alive magically once once it warms up so uh it's it's cool to see and i'm actually doing it right now because i'm going away for a week to go snowboarding with my friends and family and uh yeah, I, I'm trying to set it up timing wise so that my cells are up and ready to go when I get back. So I'm yeah. actually going to wake them up right before I leave and hope, you know, and have somebody change the media while I'm gone for that week so that when I get back, they're ready to go. And it's always sort of like a crapshoot. You're not sure if one line will wake up well versus yeah. another. And hopefully this will, you know, help standardize the whole process and, you know, take it out of the folklore of this much Y drug and this much FBS right. and standardize the whole thing. So. And and so for Rhonda, for everyone who's interested, um, I believe, and you can correct me, but it's uh, they can go to lifetechnologies.com slash cryopreservation. Is that right? Yeah, we'll 
that that page should be live here shortly, so they're they're underway for that. But that's um, we'll have a customer value continuum on there. So it's really if you're wondering what cryopreservation reagent we have available and what cell types um, we've tested them, that'll be captured there. So it'll really help people figure out what's the best solution for them. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for uh, finally. Um, you know, yeah. doing this interview. I know we had some issues, but um, I'm happy that it worked out and we got to talk to you and learn about it. I think I'm going to give some of that stuff a shot because we've had some difficulties in the lab with, with freezing cells down. We really have. So um, yeah. we're, we're definitely in the game for a new, a new solution that would standardize things. That's really the name of the game nowadays is standardizing. Right. No one wants to deal with, like Yosef said, is it going to work or is it not going to work? We just kind of want it to yeah. work every time. Yeah, so, and, and it's also embarrassing if you get a cell line from a collaborator and it yeah, doesn't yeah. wake it's the up. Worst. That's the <laughs> and, worst. And, and you're yeah. like, can you send Be some like, more? Cause, or? Yeah, because it's always <laughs> yeah. you. You're always like, it's your fault. And you're like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't know whose fault it is. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think, I think, Rhonda, Ron, you are you. I think you're coming to the next gen conference, right? Yes, nice. I signed up. I'm very excited about that. So everybody, we're all three of us here are going to be at the next gen. So everyone, go to nextgenstemcell.com and sign up. Um, that's my little plug and uh, thank you so much Rhonda have a wonderful day and I hope to talk to you soon alright take care take care bye bye okay so that was a good interview great man cellular stress no good no one should be stressed so uh yeah you you kind of brought this up we're we're gonna rant obviously as we always do and uh i was running over a few rant topics with chris and uh i i guess we we this is the lowest common denominator given that it's been such a rough winter in the northeast and um so we're gonna rant about something really funny that happens when you get all bundled up and you know it's minus degrees out and uh, you're ready to go and you get outside your door and you're walking around and all of a sudden you feel in your shoe this one little pebble that gets in oh, your shoe geez. and it's rattling around in there going from front to back and just hitting every toe and just like yeah you have to you have to get that pebble out of your shoe it's so annoying yeah you try to ignore it like i know everybody out there listening you know what i'm talking about right you try to like you you know what i do like you 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 bang the bottom of your heel the bottom of your shoe to try to force it like away from the toe or something like that but it never works you, you can't get rid of that pebble and, and so you, you know for, yeah you know what i get also like it'll sometimes i'm like maybe it's in my sock instead of <laughs> outside of my sock and rolling yeah, around right but it's never there <laughs> yeah it's, it's never there, there. You're so like, you're forced then in the friggin cold day <laughs> to take all your shoes off your sneaker your socks and your barefoot just to, and you, when you look at the pebble it's like it's this little it's like a little pebble it's the most it's not like this big rock <laughs> especially for people walking around like in new york city is the worst because you're constantly on the move and uh that one little pebble it can ruin your day i it swear, really can i swear to god if they make pebble resistant shoes i will buy them just because i that's how much i hate it i'd be like i need that product because i hate the pebble that much <laughs> Would they make a pebble resistant shoe though? I don't know. I'm thinking about I, that. I'm just some some sort of suction cup device to make sure that nothing gets in your shoe, <laughs> which probably wouldn't breathe very well. So, but I don't know. There's got to be a way to get rid of this. Maybe the, maybe somebody could recommend one. I don't know. You wear Uggs to work sometimes, right? 
I do wear Uggs. I wear mugs. I wear men's Men, Uggs. Men's and Uggs. Uh, like, I, I haven't had a problem with Pebble in the mugs because I think they're like they're so com- they're so pillowy on the inside. Yeah. That uh, maybe I don't feel it in there. But there's nothing worse than starting your day off, jumping out, walking, and then you get the pebble. Because because in your mind you're like, I'm gonna have to take my shoe. I'm gonna have to take it all <laughs> off. There's just no way. Like I can't. I can't keep going here. Yeah, for me, I got the the you know shoelace kind. They don't just slip off, so you gotta take it all the way apart. And oh, man, I, yeah, that's no cool. I, no cool. You know, I thought I had this this winter down this science because I had the lawn johns and I got the you know everything's like ready to go. What I got the Teflon jacket, and this is the one crack in my yeah, you know, yeah, armor. That's your, that's your ch- <laughs> chain, man. That's your crack. Is this a high class problem? No, this, this is, is a real everyday problem. This is a working man's problem as well. You <laughs> yeah, know? this is so, a working man's. So problem. the construction worker or we actually got feedback from a, a janitor who uh who likes to listen to stem cell podcast i saw and, that yeah and that? so you know we're 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 there for that working man as well uh i think it was a woman too that working woman as i don't well, remember so. i just know it was a janitor and i love the fact that a janitor or because i'm thinking of half-baked custodian yes. uh is yes. uh is 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 listening to the stem cell podcast that makes me feel really good so yeah. with that man keep those pebbles clean <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you on episode 40, round number. We're up to 40. We'll see you wow. guys then. Take care. All right. All right.